at verse 1. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 1. Here we have a fountain that has been opened. In wonderful prophetical form, we have a wonderful outlining of the gospel of Christ in these passages of scripture. Zechariah, he came from the priestly line. The Bible tells us that his father was Berechiah, the son of Ido, and he returned to Jerusalem with the prophet Zerubbabel after the Jews returned after the 70 years captivity. He worked together with Haggai, the prophet, who, who supersedes him in our uh, English translation of the Bible. And his ministry spanned some 50 years, if you want to connect it in with some of the kings that connected in with King Darius. God raised those men up, Zerubbabel, and raised up uh, Haggai, and raised up Zechariah, because when the Jews came back from the dispersion after the 70 years captivity, they faced great opposition. They had come back to build the temple. And of course, the opposition doesn't want the house of God to be built. And the Samaritans especially opposed them. And so they were greatly discouraged and cast down. But God used these men to encourage the Jewish people who had come back to continue in the work and to complete the building of the second temple, which was completed in round 516-517 B.C. Now as we read through the prophecy of Zechariah, I believe you could put them together with Isaiah as one of the prophets who focused and majored on the messianic scriptures and the messianic predictions of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the ancient Old Testament people, they looked forward to the Messiah who was to come and they all look forward with anticipation that one day God would send a Messiah who would deliver them and who would reign amongst them. John Calvin, in his wonderful commentary, he states that chapter 12 and verse 10 uh, means to, the words are meant to be taken figuratively as re representing uh, how the Jews pierced the Messiah by their sinful rebellion and rejection of God. Now, what was metaphorically true, literally became a reality in the days of his humiliation because the Apostle John states that this prophecy, Zechariah 12 and 10, was literally fulfilled when that Roman soldier pierced the side of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. So chapter 12 is messianic, chapter 13 is messianic because we read here about Christ being the shepherd and we read about his people being the sheep and we're reminded again of the usage of, of Christ's uh, imagery in John's gospel chapter 10 where he said I am the good shepherd the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep so chapter 12 chapter 13 it's full of messianic prophecies and scriptures when uh, Zechariah announced that God had opened up a fountain for sin and uncleanness he said it was for the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of David. So its initial application was to the Jewish nation. And the prophet had spoken in chapter 12 and verse 10 of that day when the Jews would weep over their sinful rebellion. And when God would pour out upon them his spirit. And that's why it's very appropriate this passage this evening because 
in baptism that is done by pouring. It's very emblematic and, and it's, a, it's a great symbol of the workings of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God poured out. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. And when God would be poured out upon them, they would weep, they would mourn over their sin, and they would seek the face of God. There is much talk today about what is happening amongst the Jewish nation in Gaza and all that's going on there in the Middle East. <clears throat> I do not profess to understand all the nuances of it, but this I do believe, that God has not finished with that little nation of Israel. I, I believe in Romans chapter 11 that there's a day coming when those branches once again will be grafted in and, and large numbers, I believe, from ethnic Israel will be gathered into Christ's church. The original application. But what about the gospel application? Because it's so livid, uh, vivid for us in this text. Because the gospel applies to the Gentile as well as to the Jew. Those who were going to be saved from Israel would be saved through faith in the Messiah. And those who will be saved from the Gentile nations, you and me, how will we be saved through faith in the Messiah, the promised Lord Jesus Christ? I'm glad that the promises of the gospel that are found in the word of God, they're not confined to nationality. And the fountain that is opened up for sin and uncleanness doesn't know political boundaries or borders. The fountain opened up is not one of water. Aren't we glad we can say that tonight? The fountain that opened up is one of royal blood, divine shed blood. God in provision has made a, a way of cleansing for sin through the blood of his own dear son. We sang in that lovely hymn, No trust in water do we place, tis but an outward sign. The great reality is grace, the fountain, blood divine. There is no amount of water. Either you're uh, dipped in it, immersed in it, or poured in it, or sprinkled over you that could ever take away sin. There is only the blood of Jesus Christ that can take away sin. And so I want to speak to you this evening about a fountain. A fountain that can wash sin, not a fountain of water, but a fountain of divine blood. But God has provided to cleanse and God has provided to save. That's the gospel application of the text. And that's where we want to focus our attention this evening. And if you're with us unconverted, I want to say to you directly, to your heart and to your life, this is where you need to get to this evening. By faith, you need to get to this, this fountain that has been opened up for sin and uncleanness. It's nice to come and, and watch the baptismal waters being poured upon those that are being baptized. But it's just a sign. It's just a symbol. The reality is grace bestowed through the fountain of divine cleansing blood. So firstly, think with me for a minute about the aim of this fountain. What's the aim of it? What's the purpose of it? Why was it opened up? Well, the text tells us it's opened up to deal with sin. And it's opened up to deal with uncleanness. We, we nearly 
Do not want to believe the fact here we are gathered in this lovely Sabbath evening in a very comfortable building here in Analong. Am I really speaking uh, to the unclean? Am I really speaking to those that are still in their sin? But the Bible teaches us men and women that all have come short of the glory of God. All. Not just those who are on the outside, those who are on the inside. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin has not only separated us from God, but sin has brought upon us the wrath of God. And our text, it focuses in upon this aspect of sin, the uncleanness of sin, because sin has a corrupting, it has a corroding, it has a destroying influence. And once that sin gets hold of someone's life, the older that life becomes, the greater the grip of sin has on the life of that individual. And a holy, just and righteous God could not overlook the sinfulness of his creation. We said this morning, and I reiterated again tonight, God could not bring into his family anyone who is unrighteous. Therefore, in justification, he makes them righteous. In adoption, he brings them into his family. And thus, in his infinite mercy, God opened up a way to deal with sin. And such a fountain necessitated the sacrifice and the shedding of the divine blood of Christ. The Bible teaches us that the testimony of Scripture from Genesis, the first sacrifice that was shed to cover the sinfulness of our first parents, Adam and Eve, to the Lamb in the book of Revelation, the Bible's testimony is there is one Lamb, there is one blood alone that can take away sin, and that it is the blood of Emmanuel, God's own dear Lamb. We read about him in Ephesians 1 and 7. It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And I want, to, I want every unconverted friend in the gathering tonight to know that God has not forgotten about your sin. You have forgotten about sins. And I have forgotten about sins that I have committed. We've forgotten about them, but God has not forgotten about them. And they cannot be conveniently overlooked by divine justice. The justice of God decrees that sin must be visited with judgment. But you know, with good news. And the good news of the gospel is that God provided a way to deliver you from the judgment. He opened up a fountain. If you feel the burden of sin, there's a fountain that God has opened up to deal with that sin of your heart and life. This fountain meets the double need. It's opened up for sin. That's the guilt of sin. And I'm glad that when the Lord Jesus uh, died a substitutionary death, he died to deal with guilt. Guilt's an awful thing. I don't think there's anyone in the gathering tonight that doesn't know what guilt, a guilty conscience is, a, a guilty heart is, a guilty soul is. We've all known what guilt is. But that fountain was opened up to deal with guilt guilt it was opened up to deal with uncleanness the defilement of our sinful natures it's the double cure it's pardon and it's purification in this precious blood of Emmanuel this fountain was opened up when the Savior died that accursed death on the cross of Calvary Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 it tells us, they shall look on me whom they have pierced. 
whom they have pierced. Have you ever stopped to think about how the Lord Jesus Christ was pierced on the cruel cross of Calvary and in the crucifixion? In cruel mockery, before even Jesus got to the cross, the Roman centurion and the execution squad, they mocked the Savior and they plaited a crown of thorns and they pushed it into his lovely brow. And oftentimes we sing about that head that once was crowned with thorns, but we forget the pain that that crown put upon the head of Jesus. It pierced him. When they took him to Golgotha, they nailed him to a cross. They nailed him. They took rough pieces of metal, not the type of nails that you and I think of today, but they took rough pieces of metals and they hammered those pieces of metals, metal into his hands and into his feet. That messianic psalm, I always think about it this time of year coming up to Easter, Psalm 22. It says, dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. There's more sinews and nerves run through our hands and our feet than any other part of the body. <clears throat> this is the part of the body that we touch and we feel with. And it has more sensitivity in it than probably any other part of the body. And into that body of Christ they put those nails. And forthwith there came blood. Pilate knew that Christ was innocent. He, he, was, he was mandated to execute Roman justice and <clears throat> Though he knew Christ was innocent, <clears throat> the Bible tells us that he gave Christ over to be scourged, flogged. Matthew 15, 15. Pilate willing to content the people. A judge who's willing to content the people is a judge who's open to bribery, is a judge who's open to second-hand deals, and Pilate was open to it all. And just to content the people, he released Barabbas, and he scourged Jesus. Those Roman soldiers, they took a whip and they took it to the back of Christ. And in those prophetical scriptures of Isaiah 50 and 60, Jesus said, I give my back to the smiters. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Poor sinful men had no qualms of plumbing the depths of human depravity. And in John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 34, we read one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came thereout blood and water. What a fountain was opened up for sin and uncleanness. And its aim is to bring the penitent to heaven and to home. They shall mourn for him. If you don't mourn at Calvary, if you don't mourn at the sight of Jesus suffering for you on the cross of Calvary, you'll never mourn. If you don't see how your sins put Jesus on the center cross, you'll never realize the extent of sin. You'll never realize the damning impact of sin. It was your sin and mine that put Jesus there. Oh, but how we thank God for that place 
where sins are washed away, where burdens are lifted, blind eyes made to see, that there's wonder-working power in the blood of Calvary. I want you to notice, secondly, there's access to this fountain. It's open. I love this word, open. It's open. It's not closed. It's not shut off. It's not restricted. It's open. It's open. And the open fountain is contrasted with all that is shut up. Access is free to all. Recently, out in Kenya, the mission board uh, sponsored a, a well in western Kenya just beside a little nursery school that we sponsor. And it was such a blessing to be able to drill that well and to make sure that those kids in that nursery school have fresh water every day. But whilst we drilled the well and they got the fresh water, we put one stipulation on it because it's on a compound. We put the stipulation on it that that fresh water should be available to all in the local community. It's open. It's not a private resource. And I'm glad that the gospel message is not a private resource. It's open. It's open for you. It's open for those that are in the uttermost parts. And every time the redeeming message of the gospel is preached and the, the way to God is proclaimed and the, the fountain is made known, I'm glad God is opening up the way. God is making it made known. And never ceases to encourage me uh, here and on along via the internet. Of course, we broadcast the services. A few years ago, this would have been unthinkable. But those services today, uh, every month, just from this little congregation, every month there's about 20 different countries that listen in and download the sermons. And it just, it just really bamboozles me when I read the names of some of those countries that are listening in. They're listening from China, from Russia, from Indonesia, from Europe, from Africa, from uh, America. They're listening in. The fountain is open. The way is being made known. What a blessed reality that is to our hearts tonight. There are no barriers here. There are no toll bridges to hinder those who desire to come. Ethnicity and nationality are all broken down in the, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Linda and I went over a few weeks ago to visit our son Ben in London and we went to visit his church in Ealing. A, a large congregation, some 200 people. And it really encouraged our hearts to see all the different nationalities that were there. Some 40 different countries represented in that one congregation. It's open. There's no barriers. It doesn't matter where you come from tonight. Here's a fountain. It's for you. It meets your need. It's open for the sinner who seeks pardon and cleansing. And to gain uh, access to it. One step of faith is required. Just one step of faith. There's a wonderful verse in Romans 3 and 25. I've often referred you to it. It says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Now that's where I'm going to focus in on just in the verse there. You need to have faith in the blood. Romans 3 and 25. 
You need to have faith in the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I think one of the greatest creeds you could ever learn is just that word, that little chorus of the hymn of Kuiper that we sang earlier on in the meeting. I do believe, I will believe that Jesus died for me, that on the cross of Calvary he shed his blood to set me free. You'll need nothing more than that. By faith, you come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ and you seek cleansing from sin in the Savior's precious shed blood. The, the, the Bible's full of gospel promises. I love the words of Psalm 51. Remember, these were the words of David, his great penitential psalm. He, he's really smitten with his sin. He had committed adultery. He was culpable in murder. He, he was up to his eyes in it. And God really smote him and broke him and, and, and brought him down. And he got before the Lord. And this is what he prayed. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The hyssop was just that little bunch of, of herbs that was used at the Passover that was dipped into the, the blood of the lamb. And with the hyssop was sprinkled on the doorposts of the home. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. How do we apply the blood to these lives of ours? By faith. Just by faith. Purge me with hyssop. You don't need to confess your sin to me. That'd be a waste of time. It wouldn't do me any good hearing it and I couldn't do anything about it. But you do need to confess your sin to God. And you do need to exercise faith in that fountain that cleanses sinners and you can do it where you sit from your from your heart you can pray and you can cry to him purge me with hyssop by faith make my heart clean in that precious blood I want to close by talking to you about the abundant supply from this fountain there's not one verse in the Bible, brethren and sisters, to suggest that the fountain has been shut up. The Bible teaches it has an inexhaustible supply. When the blood of Christ was shed on the cross of Calvary, I do not believe that it congealed and it disappeared into the ground. It couldn't. I, I don't believe it could have done that because the Bible teaches us it was incorruptible. And we believe it's been preserved in heaven by God. We read in Hebrews 9 and 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by, or it can be read, but with his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He went to heaven with his blood. As Christians, we believe the blood of Christ that was shed over 2,000 years ago has the same efficacy, the same potency, the same force as the R in which it was shed. Isn't that amazing? But I believe that is the, the very central uh, pith and marrow of the gospel itself. The Puritan John Owen wrote about its eternal potency, writing in that wonderful book that he wrote on the Holy Spirit. In chapter 5, he comments on how the filth of sin is purged by the, by the Spirit and the blood of Christ. And this is what he wrote. The blood of other sacrifices was always to be used immediately upon its effusion. Why? 
because if it were cold and congealed, it was no use to be offered or sprinkled. You can't sprinkle uh, blood that has been dried. Blood was appointed to make atonement as the life as the life was in it. But the blood of the sacrifice of Christ, it's always warm, having the same spirit of life and sanctification still moving in it. And hence our way of approach to God thereby is said to be living and yet always as newly slain. I think that's wonderful. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is living and yet it is as newly slain. Thank God the blood didn't congeal or go cold at the cross. It's warm. It's newly slain and it can cleanse. It can cleanse the deepest dyed heart in sin and it can cleanse and purify. This, this abundance of this fountain could have close with this application. It's a means of blessing, not just for the unconverted, but for the believer. <clears throat> I know with many Christians in the, the meeting tonight, and sometimes it comes a shock, I think, to a newly converted Christian that they still sin, that the old Adamic man is not dead. And sometimes when new Christians fail and fall, they question the reality of their experience. Can I really be saved and think that? Can I really be saved and say that? Can I really be saved and do that? The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 7 and 9, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now that word, cleanseth, it's a lovely old-fashioned word, and it's in the continuous tense. What does it mean? It just goes on cleansing. Verse 9 is tied in with it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood cleanses when confession is made. Uh, and maybe you're here this evening at this special service, perhaps as a backslider. Maybe years ago you professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but other things took over and other things entered in. And you wonder tonight, is there really cleansing for me? Most assuredly there is. I want to say that. There's cleansing afresh in the blood of the Lamb. And how do you come? How do you come? Oh, that's the question. How do you come? Well, Charlotte Elliott in her lovely hymn just summed it up beautifully. Just as I am. Verse 5 says, Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. The gospel promises, <coughs> they're meant for all. As believers, we, we take a hold of them, we grasp them, we, we don't let them go. And I come afresh to him, and I confess my sin, and I know that fresh cleansing that is to be found in the blood of the Lamb. There's nothing lacking tonight on God's part, nothing. The fountain has been opened. God has provided a way. Cleansing is to be had. What's lacking on your part? I'll tell you what's lacking. You haven't come. 
You haven't exercised faith. You haven't come. Well, Jesus invites you to come now. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord, and though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Come now. And you come by faith. And you call upon him and just for his mercy and grace and cleansing and it's to be had for you this very night.